0: this beautiful summer sunday would you please take a moment and greet somebody around you before you're seated
1: Uh, There we go. Uh, My name is Adam Harbaugh. I'm the outreach pastor here at Hopevale. It is great to be here this morning. So I'm going to go ahead. uh, We are going to commission uh, the team of nine that we are sending to Chinoy, Zimbabwe this summer. So if the team wants to come on up. (laughs) That's right. We're sending this team of nine to Chinoy. If you remember last, a little over a year ago, uh, we participated in a a project called Building Hope where we raised some funds to send to our ministry partner in Chinoy to build a Life Discipleship Center building. And there's been a lot of progress that's happened there uh, over the last year in the midst of their ongoing ministry. And we sent a team last summer, and now this team is going to be going and traveling there from July 8th to the 20th. And so we just want to take a moment this morning to, uh, to just recognize uh, this partnership that we have with Chinoy and pray for this team as they go and just the ministry and the work that they'll be doing. You know, we're really excited about this and just what, what the Lord has called uh, Life to Life Africa Ministries to and just a neat story about uh, the way that our partnership has come about and developed over the years. And it's really taken a couple of great steps forward, not only with our partnership through Building Hope, but these teams that we're sending down. And so we're just excited for the way that the Lord is going to use them. There'll be some work to do uh, on the building and the property there uh, in Chinois, but then also just uh, for this team to be able to come alongside the regular ministries that take place there during the week and the team that's there. And so we just really hope that there'll be a, a great deal of encouragement that takes place. Uh, for the people there, for this team that's going and just looking forward to the way that God is going to use them. And so as they prepare to leave, we just want to take this time to pray for them. Uh, So let's do that now. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we thank you so much just for uh, who you are and the work that you are doing, not only uh, right here uh, in Saginaw that we have the opportunity to be a part of, but around the world as well. And so, Lord, we are grateful for these partnerships that uh, you have entrusted to us and just the work that you are doing globally and our opportunity to come alongside and to help uh, support and encourage that work. And so, Lord, in, in Chinoi, we know that there is great need there uh, with the Life, uh, Life to Life Africa ministries. And, God, as they minister uh, to the poorest of the poor in their community and orphans and widows, and the elderly. God, they have great need. And Lord, we thank you for uh, just the work, especially over these last couple years, that uh, is taking place there, and just the, the fruit that that team is seeing as they bring your word and your gospel to the people there, to just encourage them. And Lord, as we send this team to go down there next month, God, we just lift them up right now. Lord, we know that there's so much uh, planning and time and energy and fundraising that goes into sending a team like this. Oh, God, we have just uh, paved their way in prayer, and we continue to do that. God, that you would uh, be with them along every step of the way from uh, the airport and customs and just travel in-country to arriving there in Chinoi. And so, God, would you just bless that partnership, bless those relationships uh, that have been built and will continue to go deeper. Uh, God, that through that, that you would just be glorified. God, that it's not about uh, any one church or any one mission organization, God, but it's about us partnering together to spread your word to those who have not heard it. And so, Lord, we do, we just pray for their time as they're in the country, uh, that you would just work in and through this team. God, just uh, prepare their hearts uh, for you to go to work and that they would just see great things done in your name. God, we love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, can we just give them a round of applause as we send them off to encourage them? As we continue in worship this morning, I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward. And some of these guys on the team are ushers, so I think they don't have to go very far, so that's great. but really, as we just prepare to give of our tithes and offering this morning, uh, you know, we're just grateful for this opportunity that we have to serve an incredible God that we just sang about. And so uh, let's just go to the Lord in prayer again as we prepare to give our tithes and offerings this morning. Lord, we do just thank you for uh, who you are. Lord, again, you are a great, awesome, incredible God, and it is a privilege to serve you. And so, Lord, as we just prepare to give this morning, we recognize that all of this is yours. God, we are stewards of your resources here on this earth, whether it's our time, our talents, or our treasures, God. And so, Lord, as we prepare to give, we just pray that uh, it would be done uh, with a cheerful heart. God, that all of these resources would be given to further your kingdom here on this earth, because it's not about us, God. It is all about you, and our heart's desire is that all would come to know you in a real and personal way. And so, God, we just thank you for uh, this opportunity that we have to give, and may it bring you glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: Your God to
0: muster and in your name Jesus we worship you and in your name Jesus we praise you and it is in your name that we pray amen
3: amen you can go ahead and have a seat great to be here as we gather for worship and sing these songs about the greatness of our God that remind us that we worship an amazing incredible awesome God well We are here, end of June, for many of us recovering from a great week of Bible Camp here at Hopewell. Yes? As you can see around me, the set design we've kept up just really as a reminder of the hundreds of children who are on our campus this week, many from our church, some from the community, of just ministering the love and the message and the good news of Jesus Christ to them. And many of you, literally hundreds of volunteers helping out, and so as a way of just recognizing you, if you helped out with Bible Camp this past week, we'd love for you to stand, recognize you, and express our appreciation. Thank you. Um, special thanks to uh, Jody Quinn, our Kid City Director, Jenny Holiday, our Ta-Town Director, many who helped make that possible. You know, had our volunteers stand. You could have just looked for the people with bags under their eyes, too. It <laughs> kind of would have been the same thing. A great week. And as you know, too, this was the year we actually changed what we did Thursday night from the community carnival that we had in the past to a Family and Friends Night, and it was a phenomenal event. We had, again, hundreds on our campus and and parents and family members, grandparents um, on our church grounds in here, out back, and just really great, great to see. And uh, if you are here as a result of your kids being involved this week and you're new to Hope we just want to extend a special welcome to you and are glad that you're worshiping here with us today. Um, before I get into the message today, just a quick peek forward. Uh, next weekend is Fourth of July weekend, Sunday's the third, and we'll uh, have a special, you know, unique uh, holiday kind of theme message for that. But then the following week, July 10th, we're going to begin our new series, a summer series entitled Heroes, where we're going to look at stories in the Bible of men and women who demonstrate heroic faith. Pastor Sam's going to kick that. Off And all throughout the summer, you'll have a chance to hear from some of the different pastors on staff of just great Bible stories that encourage us where we learn from their examples. So we're looking forward to that. That's July 10th. Also, to read the bulletin and the signs, just schedule-wise, because summer's a little different between uh, children's ministry programming and how that varies week to week, and other things going on as well. You might have seen the signs too. If you haven't, I'm just going to break it to you. Uh, July is a uh, donut-free month. Um, We still believe in the Bible, okay? (laughs) So not all the foundations are crumbling, but we're just, uh, we'll still have coffee on Sundays. And so forth, but we're taking a break from that want you to have a heads up And, you know, if you need to do mental prep or whatever I don't know, but uh, that's coming up But seriously, read the bulletin again You know, July and August just are a little different Than what we do normally in the school year So we want you to be prepared for that Well, last week, as we finished up our series on anger It dawned on me that those last eight weeks were hard Really hard, it's hard to talk about anger. It's hard for you to hear about it. It's hard to look inward. It's hard to honestly face up to any anger issues we might be wrestling with. It's hard to admit. It's hard to apologize. It's hard to forgive. It's hard to change. It's just plain hard. Now, let's be clear. There's nothing necessarily wrong with hard, right? Hard isn't the same as bad, and Heart is needed if you are going to grow in your faith as a Christian. So let's not write off heart altogether or shy away from it if it comes our way. But today, you know, as our anger series is over, instead of doing a lot of looking inward, I want us to spend our time looking upward and forward. Because after all, the Christian life doesn't begin with us and our struggles. It begins with God and his solutions. And as a church... We've got to make sure we don't lose sight of that. That, by the way, is why we celebrate communion on a monthly basis, the story of God and his solutions, and that's why we're going to do that together as a church family at the end of the service. But for now, as a way of looking upward and forward, I want to walk us through a passage of scripture. It's from the New Testament book of 1 Peter, written by the same Peter who was one of Jesus's 12 disciples and a very close friend of his, that after the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, Peter became a key leader in the Christian church back when it began in the first century. And as part of his leadership, Peter encouraged Christians who were scattered through different parts of the Roman Empire. Now, you may already know this, but back then, back in the first century, Christians were in the minority. Now, think about it. It was a brand-new religion, so they didn't have the rich tradition of Judaism, didn't have the broad appeal of paganism and idol worship, and it didn't have the forced allegiance of having to pay homage to the emperor. And so followers of Christ in that kind of setting were in a minority. They were misfits, they were misunderstood, and as a result they were mistreated. In other words, back then there was no quick cakewalk being a christian christians were socially excluded they were verbally maligned they were physically harassed so there's no talk back then of making christianity you know great again they're just trying to hang on to their faith right they're trying to figure out how to live for jesus in the midst of a culture that is ignorant and intolerant of the one true god by the way does that sound vaguely familiar Now, by no means am I attempting to equate what we as Christians go through today with what they would have experienced back then, two entirely different situations, and yet there are some points of comparison. See, like then, believers today aren't surrounded by same-hearted, like-minded people who see the world the exact same way we do. And like then, there can be consequences for going public with our faith. And like then, in the face of opposition when it feels like we're the only one who sees things through the lens of the Scripture, we can struggle, struggle with questions and doubts and even wonder at times when things get really rough And following Jesus is worth all the hassle. And so when you add all that up, yeah, I guess we're still on the same theme of hard, but it's a different kind of hard than we've talked about these last few weeks. This isn't the kind of hard that comes from the selfishness within us or the selfishness of other people no this is the kind of hard that comes from opposition from people from situations that aren't entirely faith friendly now let's just be clear you know trials happen to everyone regardless of what they believe whether it's something major like a natural disaster the death of a loved one or something relatively minor like having it rain on your vacation or getting a flat tire right those things happen to christians but they're not unique to us Now, we're talking about particular trials that happen to us because we're Christians. There is a suffering at times that can be linked to our salvation. Now, for our brothers and sisters in Christ in certain parts of the world, it's pretty heavy stuff. Stuff like persecution, job loss, home eviction, imprisonment, and even death by execution, right? And so while it's certainly not as extreme for us, trials still come our way, and they come because of our faith in Jesus. But a lot of those happening in a social realm, right? Like being excluded at work because we're unwilling to go with something that's against our morals. Being talked about at school because you got a different standard when it comes to sexual purity. Or maybe it's being labeled as bigoted and closed-minded because of your belief on... Social issues like marriage, gender, abortion that are based on the authority of Scripture rather than the drumbeat of our culture. And you go through enough of those experiences and they'll wear you down. You even start to wonder, am I right? Am am I the crazy one? And is it really worth it to to take a stand, get all the heat for what I believe? These are the kind of faith-induced trials that I'm thinking about. And they're hard. And so what does Peter have to say to Christians who are going through that kind of situation, both then and now? Well, the whole book of 1 Peter is five chapters long, and I'd encourage you to take the time to read through it on your own. For our purposes today, we're just going to look at the beginning of chapter 1, Peter's opening words to fellow Christians. And as we do so, my hope for you is that as a believer in Jesus Christ, that God will encourage your heart, that he will change your perspective, that he will give you the kind of reality check you need, both about your present and about your future, so that you can continue to, fa- to passionately follow Jesus for the rest of your lives, even despite what's going on around you. That's my hope. That's my prayer. So let's dive in. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, scattered, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So this is just kind of your standard opening to a New Testament letter, who it's from, who it's Written to, Peter is writing to God's people and goes on to remind these scattered Christians who they are in Christ. Verse two, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. A lot of words here, but there is a lot of truth truth about your identity as a Christian and all that God has done and is doing in you, through you, with you, and for you. That as a Christian, God in his infinite wisdom chose you before the beginning of time. That as a Christian, the Holy Spirit has set you apart as his chosen instrument for God's special work in this world. And that same Holy Spirit is changing you from the inside out, that as a Christian, you have been thoroughly cleansed from all your sin through the blood of Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, who now invites you to experience life to its fullest in obedience to his commands, all because of this. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. That's quite a bit just for an opening line in a letter, don't you think? But it's true. Everything here, Peter says, is true. That if you are a Christian, that if you, by faith, are experiencing the saving grace of God in your life, this is true for you, and you need to know that. Now, there's so much we can flesh out here, right? But I want you to look at this slide again. We'll keep it up there. Because there's something I want you to see. You know, so Peter mentions the foreknowledge of God the Father. He mentions the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, and he talks about being obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood, that in this one verse, you have all three members of the Trinity mentioned, right? God the Father, God the Son, that's Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit, that the nature of our God, he is one in essence, yet three in persons. Now, does that make sense? Can we explain it? Can we completely wrap our minds around that? No. But it doesn't mean it isn't true that God has clearly revealed through His Word and through His Son that this is so, even if it is a mystery to us. And yet, God, in this communal, triune expression, you know, we're, we should be encouraged because the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all at work. And like I said before, in, at work in you, through you, with you. And for you You know, I didn't originally plan To start with these two verses After all, they're just Peter's greetings and salutations, right? And yet, maybe even in these two verses This is your takeaway today It is This is the reality check you need About what your true identity really is as a person See, as a Christian, ultimately speaking You are not your job You are not your hobby. You are not your favorite sports team. You are not your family. You are not your marriage. You are not your bank account. You are not your loneliness. You are not your disappointment. You are not your grief. You are not your past. You are none of these. Rather, this is who you are. You are chosen by God the Father. You are set apart by God the Holy Spirit. You are cleansed and forgiven by God the Son, Jesus Christ, and his sprinkled blood Upon you, And all this because you are eternally, sacrificially, and deeply loved by the most important and most powerful being in the entire universe, the God who created you. That's who you are. That as a Christian, this is what your heart needs to keep on believing. Right? Don't ever forget that. It's the same reason, by, by the way, why the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans looks at us and says, no matter what you're facing, if God is for you, Who can be against you? God is for you. You know that? God is for you. So we can stand in his mighty power. We can stand in his ferocious love for us because nothing else compares. So believe that. That even in the darkest of time, believe that. Well, that's just the introduction. It gets even better from here. Verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ that in his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So right out of the blocks, after these introductory comments, Peter begins with a word of praise, praising our God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he does so because he is just casting for us this incredible vision, painting this unbelievable picture of all the riches that are ours through the salvation we experience in Jesus. This is what's true and real for you as a Christian, that if we can truly grasp that in our heart of hearts, we will join Peter in this timeless and eternal chorus of praise, right? To God, to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what exactly... Has God done that makes him so worthy of such praise? Back to verse three, that in his great mercy, that with this compassionate patience that knows no human equivalent, God has given us new birth that as a Christian, we are brand new people. God has completely changed our lives. That who we are, that where we're headed, those are now entirely different. And so the Bible says that God, our God has rescued us from spiritual death. He has set us free. And so he has not just forgiven our sins, but he has clothed us in the pure, holy, righteous garments of his son, Jesus. That is our new birth. And what does this new birth bring about for us? Those who believe in Jesus, two things. The first is right here, verse three, that God has given us new birth into a living hope. That as a Christian, you have a living hope. I I love that. See that because of Jesus, because he has changed our lives, we now have a hope that is alive. We have a hope that allows us to confidently face the future, and not fearfully face it. So what is hope? I define hope this way, that hope is the confident expectation that something better awaits me. Something better awaits us, which implies then that things are hard right now. Right? We live in a difficult present, and yet we look forward to a different future, a better future. Now, I know that there are a lot of things, a lot of places, a lot of people in this world that seem like they offer us hope, but God's hope is completely different. See, hope in the Bible isn't mere wishing or idealistic fantasy, you know, kind of like playing the lottery or, you know, real estate speculation. No, this is a hope, a biblical hope that is grounded in certainty, In reliability. More specifically, Peter says that the certainty and reliability is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, the the empty tomb. That is the guarantee of our hope, that even the greatest foe that we will ever face in our lifetime, death itself, is powerless in the presence of our Savior. And so Christian hope looks to Jesus. Christian hope is confident that what God has promised for our future will come to pass. So yes, we have to wait for that hope to become reality, but waiting for it makes it no less real. That's why it is a living hope. And living hope is what God gives to us through this new birth of ours. Here's the other thing that we get from, the new, from this new birth. Verse 4, that God in his great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Not only do we as Christians have a living hope, we also have an inheritance. Do you know that? That as a Christian, you have this incredible inheritance waiting for you. It's true. Now, my guess is that for most of us here, when it comes to, you know, our present lives, our earthly families, that we don't have this huge financial windfall waiting for us after our parents die. That that might be your case, but for most of us, probably not. Now, for most of us, you know what's waiting for us? A cluttered house, right? Filled with decades of accumulated stuff that's just waiting to be clean. Now, there might be a few items here and there that have some sentimental value, right? But let's face it. Most of the stuff in there probably is a lot of junk that's not worth much, that we're just hoping to get rid of as soon as possible. That's the inheritance waiting for us from an earthly standpoint. But here... The kind of inheritance Peter's talking about? This is completely different. See, Peter is tapping into Old Testament imagery where the whole concept of inheritance, specifically the promised land, was what kept Jewish believers to keep on going despite all their hardships. And so whether it's the patriarchs, that is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who wandered as strangers in a strange land, or as the Israelites who were shackled in the bonds of slavery in Egypt, life for them was really hard. They didn't have much, that all that they held on to were the promises of God and this future inheritance that would one day be theirs. And so with that, as a background, Peter says to Christians here, you who are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the internal inheritance of untold riches, the promise of a heavenly home, the promise of of endless spiritual blessings, and all this one day will be yours. So let that motivate you to keep on going and not give up, to keep on following Jesus, even when the people around you are making it hard to do so. Live for that future inheritance. And if that's not enough, Peter goes on to say, oh, by the way, this spiritual inheritance of untold riches, it cannot perish, it cannot spoil, it cannot... Fade, that it's going to last forever, that it is unstained by sin or anything else that can tarnish it, and unlike earthly wealth, you can count on it being there for you forever. Why? Because it is shielded by God's power. wholly protected, fully guaranteed until the time that Jesus comes again. So it 's not ours yet. No. It's going to be ours when Jesus returns to this earth. But you can count on it. So this isn't a matter of if. It's just a matter of when. In a world where many things appear to be certain, only to let us down in the end, Peter assures us that this spiritual inheritance of untold riches, riches that can never perish, spoil, or fade, these are the one thing, this is the thing we can count on to last forever. This is what makes our salvation in Jesus Christ so breathtaking, so worthy of endless praise. This is what the future holds in store for us. That's why we have a living hope. And yet the challenge is we're not there yet, right? We're not there. No, things are hard. That might be our future, but what about the present? What about those times when we don't feel very blessed, we don't feel very hopeful, we don't feel very spiritually, you know, rich, right? When life is kicking us in the teeth, It can be hard to square the certainty of this wonderful future with the instability of a difficult present, right? They don't seem to connect. That's why I love the Bible. Because the Bible, when it is properly understood, tells it like it is, and it isn't afraid to face reality. The Bible doesn't airbrush the ugly parts of life. It doesn't gloss over those things we'd rather not think about. No, the Bible takes us by the hand, and sometimes the Bible shakes us by the shoulders, right? and says, let's talk about what you're going through right now. I know you don't want to do it. I know you don't want to face up to it, but you need to do it, and you're going to need my help to do so, right? And that's what Peter does here in 1 Peter 1, that after painting this beautiful picture for us, he turns the corner to inject a bit of reality. Verse 6. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. That to live as a Christian in this world means there's always going to be a tension between the living hope, the future inheritance that are ours through Jesus, between those things, but then the present experience in this life where we what? Where we suffer grief and all kinds of trials. That as much as God loves us, he doesn't spare us from tough times. He doesn't, so don't believe those lies that tell you that all your difficulties mean that God disapproves of you or that you don't have enough faith. Whether those lies come from well-meaning Christian friends, kind of like the ones Job had in the Old Testament, whether they come from some misguided prosperity gospel preacher you see on TV who promises that everything's going to be awesome for you, or they come from Satan himself in the form of deep discouragement, you and I, as believers, will suffer grief and all kinds of trials in this life. Now, back in the first century... (laughs) It's pretty extreme, right? Persecution, socially, verbally, physically, economically. Right? And whatever they were going through, the impact was the same. That these events were pressuring Christians to lose hope, to leave their faith. And guess what? That still goes on today. That as you and I go through trials, Satan turns up the heat. That through trials, he can make life hard. He can tempt us to lose heart, to pitch it, to give up so if Satan can make your present grief and suffering so intense that you forget your hope as a Christian, then as a deceiver and as a destroyer, he has succeeded. And so trials will always be part of the Christian life, this side of heaven. So the question question is, how should we think about them, and what do we do with them? Peter has an answer for that, verse 7. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And so the trials of our faith aren't just Satan's tactics, but they also can be used by God for us as believers to give him glory. That when our faith is tested by hard times, when it is refined by the fire of all kinds of trials, if it can remain and it can endure, then that faith will be of greater worth than than gold. And so there's this image, this refining of gold, right? That when the heat is turned up, when the dross is melted away, so too does God use trials to refine our faith, to purify it, to prove it, right? To us, to others, that it is truly genuine. And when that happens, God is ultimately glorified, right? And we, in turn, when Jesus comes back, will be honored. By him, That's the kind of perspective we need when we find ourselves surrounded by the flames because even then what Satan intends for evil, God is able to use for the good. He's able to use for our good. Verse 8, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him, now you believe in him and you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of of your souls. Peter says to them, You haven't seen Jesus. You don't see him now. See, back then he's writing to second generation believers who were not first hand eyewitnesses of Jesus. So, like us, they had never laid eyes on the Savior. So these Christians had come to know and love Jesus because he had first loved them. He had demonstrated his love to them through his death on the cross. Likewise for us. Our gaze isn't to be on what we see, you know, our trials, those who are opposed to us. But the eyes of our heart need to look to the one that we love, even though we cannot see him with our physical eyes. That's faith. And verse 9 tells us that as all this unfolds, we are getting closer to the full, to the final experience of our hope. Eternity with God in his heavenly kingdom forever. This is the living hope, right? that fills our heart with this inexpressible and glorious joy. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and you are filled with this inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So be encouraged, Peter says. You know, I entitled today's message Reality Check because there are times for every Christian, when in our lives we need to be told, we need to be reminded of what is really true. Because life can get hard. People can be mean. And our hope as Christians can get blurry where we can really forget that there's more to life than just this life. That there's more going on beyond than just what we can see, right? And so today, if you find yourself in the midst of trials, if you find the, the, the fire of your faith faintly flickering, right? Here's my message to you, that because of Jesus, you have a living hope and you have a future inheritance. You have a living hope. You have a future inheritance all because of Jesus. They're yours, guaranteed, both now and forever. Even if you can't see them, they're yours. Even if you don't feel them, they're real. So don't be surprised when the hard times come. Don't get caught off guard when people oppose you. That's all part of what it is to be a Christian in this world. And so when it happens, don't automatically conclude that you're doing something wrong or that God has somehow abandoned you because he hasn't. No, what we need as Christians is a perspective. A perspective that this living hope, that this future inheritance give for us. And I love how the Apostle Paul gives us a framework for how to think about our suffering, right? This reality of trials in our lives that in Romans chapter 8, verse 17, verse 18, he says this. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, right? Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Heirs receive an inheritance, right? If indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. This is verse 18. I love this. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. They're not worth comparing. So, Paul's not saying that bad stuff won't ever happen to us as Christians. It will. He's just saying that if we can take a step back for a moment and think about our life from an eternal perspective, that the suffering, the trials that we go through in the present, they pale in comparison to the joy that await us in the future. And so we hang on. Do you get that? Do you, do you understand? That's why Peter then, back to verse 6, encourages us to rejoice in the midst of our trials. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though for now, for a little while, you have made to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. You know, with a group this size, I don't know what people are going through. I do know this, though, that not a Sunday passes by uh, here at Bell where somebody doesn't walk in and feel like they're on the last leg of their faith. or or their hope. And they just feel like they can't go on. And Peter's word to you is even despite what you're going through, rejoice, rejoice. Intentionally, proactively choose to fix your mind, to set your heart on this living hope, on this future inheritance that are yours because of Jesus. And so we do that. We do that through our corporate heartfelt worship here, right? That's what we're doing. We're rejoicing in who God is. We're rejoicing in his salvation. That's why we need to keep on gathering, right, for worship Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. It's why we worship through communion and remember the deep, deep love of Jesus for us. That's why Beyond Sundays we rejoice in our salvation through personal times of prayer where we share our life with God and ask for his help as we pray. And we do that as we read and study the Bible, as we let God remind us through his word about the riches of this future glory. And we do this, we greatly rejoice as we talk to others, both Christians and non-Christians, about how much Jesus means to us. And we do this as we give and share and serve others in the name of Jesus, serving and sharing from all that God has entrusted into our care. Because when we can do this as expressions of our faith, Peter says that we will be filled with this inexpressible and glorious joy, receiving the goal of our faith, the salvation of our souls. This is the reality check, right? That worship gives us, that God's word gives us, that his promises give us, that communion gives us gives us, right? It's that certainty of the future that gives us the strength we need to persevere in the presence, whatever we might be facing. This is the power, the power of a living hope and a future inheritance, all because of Jesus. Let's pray together. God, we have been worshiping today. We have looked upward to see what you have for us we look forward at this living hope this future inheritance that are ours in christ so that no matter what our present experience might be we can keep on going and not give up father even now uh, our prayer my prayer is for those who really do feel like they're on their last leg, who feel worn out, beat up, discouraged, feeling like they can't go on. And I pray that you would refresh their spirit, you would renew their vision for them to see beyond just what they can apprehend, their eyes and ears and all five senses, right, Lord? And so for all of us, even now, as we Um, get ready to worship through communion that you would renew and restore the joy of our salvation that comes through jesus christ You would fan the flames of our living hope and create in our hearts this anticipation for a future inheritance of eternity with you oh lord we love you we worship you for you alone are worthy our great God. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.
1: Well, as Pastor Dan said, you know, once a month here at Hopeville, we take communion to remember the death of Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins. And so as we do that this morning, you know, here at Hopeville, you don't have to be a member of this church to participate In communion. The only thing that's necessary really is that you are a Christian the way the Bible describes it, that you have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And even as we looked at this morning, you know, there are tons of places in the Bible that talk about how salvation has been extended to us through what Jesus did on the cross. And yet so often because of our just sinful human nature, and I think we are just wired to think that salvation is something that we have to earn, that there are things that we have to do to uh, have God look at us with his favor, that it's just there's something uh, that we have to do to be good enough. And all of that is just simply not true. You know, salvation is a gift from God. It's accomplished through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And even though our sin, which is what separates us from God, deserves eternal death, Jesus took the sins of the world on himself. And he paid the penalty for our sin through his death on the cross. See, Jesus died in our place so that we can experience eternal life with him. As I was preparing for this morning, I was just drawn to uh, the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. Uh, And in these verses, Paul writes and says that once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. So once you, you and I, we were all alienated from God and enemies in our minds because of our evil behavior. But now, He, Jesus, has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation how incredible is that we are holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation you know what an incredible thing that jesus has done for us so we participate in communion today To identify as the ones who Jesus is presenting as holy in his sight. You know that through his death, you are without blemish and free from accusation. So, my prayer today is that we would live each and every day of our lives in the reality of how Jesus sees us because of what he has done for us through his death on the cross. And so, if you have not accepted that reality, Uh, That Jesus has extended to you through His death, and we would just ask that you simply let the elements pass by this morning. And parents with any young children in the room, just use your discretion there. And we trust that you know your kids, and if they've come to that point of personal faith in what Christ has done for them, and we we ask you uh, potentially not participate in this, not to exclude you or point you out, but just simply out of respect for the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross and if you haven't placed your trust in him for your salvation then participating in the remembrance of his death on the cross wouldn't have any meaning for you and this is really anything but an empty ritual or a meaningless act for those who believe in Jesus so at the same time this invitation for you to know and follow Jesus is extended to you anytime now Jesus died for everyone so that whoever confesses their sin for a, their sin and need for a Savior would be forgiven and included in God's kingdom. And so this morning as we take communion and reflect on the death of Jesus, I would just ask, you know, what's holding you back from this amazing reconciliation with God, your Creator, through Jesus? So having said all that, I just want to go ahead and ask those who are serving the bread today uh, to please come forward as we prepare to take the bread. And let's pray together as they come. Heavenly Father, we are just in awe of who you are and what you have done for us. What you have accomplished for us on the cross. God it is not something that we could have ever uh, done on our own. God, there's nothing that we can do to earn your favor. And the incredible thing is is that we don't have to because you looked at us in your great love and wisdom and said that you are going to make a way to reconcile us to you. And you did that through Jesus' death on the cross. So God, as your word says it encourages us as we enter into this time of remembrance to examine ourselves. And that's for all of us, God, believers and unbelievers. God, we stand before you. You know us inside and out. So we just bear ourselves before you and admit that we are sinful people in need of a savior. God, and thank you for the reconciliation that you offer to us through the death of your cross, death of your son on the cross. God, we we know that that was not an easy thing to go through. The pain and the suffering that you experienced as you were killed on the cross, God, we do not take that lightly. And so God, as we remember this morning, We're just eternally grateful to you for all that you have done for us. And we thank you for your body that was given to us for us on the cross. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And God, as we prepare to take the cup, representing your shed blood for us that covers over our sins, that forgives us for all the wrongs that we have committed against you. God, it represents this new covenant in your blood that we have, this access to you. God, we thank you for, again, your sacrifice on the cross, the shedding of your blood for us. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for what you have done.
0: Bible says in Colossians 2, 13, that we were dead in our sin and trespasses. That it was God who made us alive. That it was God who forgave us of our sins. And this next song that we're going to sing really captures the essence of that verse and the essence of communion. And so we invite you to reflect on the words as we sing. But I also just want to say that if you're here today and you don't know Jesus and the communion is just passing by in front of you, I think if each one of us could, we would tell you that the words of this song are our testimony. That we didn't get ourselves all cleaned up and get our act together before we came to Jesus. That we were broken and messy and dirty and that it is Jesus who makes us clean.
1: The same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Lord, again, we thank you so much for just all of the, the truth that we have heard this morning from your word the way that we have been reminded of who we are in Christ. God, the way that you see us. And Lord, may we just live daily in the reality of an understanding of how you see us. God, that we would not let this world beat us up and break us down, but to know that you are in control, that you are for us, you are with us, and that we can conquer in this life, because of your presence with us. God, we love you, and we give you the praise for all that you have done for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. What a great morning of worship together. Uh, uh, that concludes our service this morning, and so just thank you very much for being here. Uh, and again, just we, we just hope and trust that you go this week just reminded of who you are in Christ. And so have a great week, and we hope to see you again uh, right here next Sunday.